Passages, I'm Rachel Powell, and this is Passages Voice. For some people, crisis is crippling. For others, it's an opportunity to learn and grow into excellent leaders. The last few weeks have been unprecedented. Learning about the experience of others can help us craft our own vision of leadership and hone our leadership skills. Join me as I talk to some of the amazing leaders at Passages who have overcome many challenges to rise to the top. Hello, everyone. This is Rachel here, and I am very excited to be interviewing Luke Bray today, our Director of Strategic Partnerships here at Passages. Um, This is another part in our series on leadership during crisis. Um, Luke, it's amazing to have you today. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Luke has a lot of really amazing experience um, just in the different careers that he has had during his life. Um, So I'm really excited to hear some of the leadership lessons that Luke's going to kind of give us an overview on today. But Luke, I would like to start um, with just a little bit about yourself. Can you tell me a little bit about you and some of your background and how that eventually led you to Passages? Sure. So I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, both of my parents are Christians. In fact, my dad was a pastor, He's retired now, but was the pastor for over 40 years. And so from a very young age, I learned about the Bible, principles from the Bible and, and the Christian faith. And um, But it wasn't actually until I was about 15 years old that I, I came to a personal faith in Jesus uh, at a summer camp. And a couple of years after that, I was when I was about 17, I committed my life to full-time ministry. Didn't really know what that was going to look like at the time, but uh, but really felt like that was the direction the Lord was taking me. And so after high school, I went to a private Christian college up in northeastern Missouri called Hannibal LaGrange College. And in fact, that's that's where I met my wife. Uh, I, I saw her on campus the first week of classes and never let her out of my sights. So, so we were married our junior year after our, our junior year got married and and began li- living off campus but during my school there i i earned a, a bachelor of arts in biblical studies and after college i decided to enter the army national guard as a military police soldier uh, it was interesting i think at the, at the time uh, there was a couple of things that were kind of coming into play with that decision one uh, both of my grandfathers had served in the military and, and so there was a, a part of me that wanted to carry that, that mantle uh, that, they had, that they had worn. Uh, but also at that particular time, um, the, uh, the September 11th attacks had just occurred. And so there was this kind of deep feeling of, of duty and a desire to serve my country as well. And so uh, during my military career, I was deployed to Iraq and served in combat missions for over a year there. And when I came back, I returned uh, and I worked for the Northeast Missouri Narcotics Task Force, uh, working full-time for the military, but as an intelligence analyst for the task force. And uh, additionally, I I served as a military police team leader in our company uh, there in Missouri. And I was one of the lead trainers for our company with regard to urban combat training. And so uh, after my military service, Kim and I decided that we would move to Louisville, Kentucky, where I took a position of lead pastor in a local church there. And I served in that capacity for about 10 years. And uh, while I was in Louisville, I, I did earn a Master's of Divinity with a concentration in Islamic studies. 
uh, my experience in Iraq really gave me a passion for uh, cross-cultural ministry and Muslims uh, in particular. And, and so I, I focused in, in that area. And right now I'm, I'm finishing my work for a Master's of Theology in Christian Missions and a PhD in World Religions. Uh, but in 2016, I was introduced to the Passages program. At the time, I was working uh, part-time as a uh, assistant to the director of this uh, Islamic Research Center on our campus at Southern Seminary. And I uh, received an email from the president's office saying, hey, we have this opportunity to go to Israel. And I didn't really know anything about it, but I thought, man, I'd love to go to Israel. That's like um, uh, something as a Bible student you would love to do, but as a Christian you'd love to do, but also as a pastor, something I really wanted to experience. And so I traveled to Israel and was just simply overwhelmed as a student and as a pastor by this incredible place. Uh, the scriptures became more vivid to me, and that experience had a deep and abiding impact upon me emotionally and spiritually. And so I returned to Israel a couple of times, uh, first as a fellow with Passages, and then as a senior fellow. And then later I was asked to work for Passages full-time as the Director of Strategic Partnerships. And so that's what I'm doing now and, and loving it. That's amazing. It's, it's awesome to hear kind of the journey of what has led you from military to pastor to now working for passages. And that gives you like a very broad scope of just very different experiences. And I'm sure throughout all of those different things, you've learned a lot of different things about what leadership looks like, not only in like hard times, but in just a lot of different settings. So I'm really excited to hear from you. Like what are some of the things through those different experiences that you've learned about leading others? through hard times? Sure. Well, I think probably the, the, first, the first principle or idea that I would mention is that if you're going to lead well, whether it's in good times or in crisis, you have to find the believable people and you have to believe them. And I think of my experience as a pastor, uh, one of my best friends over that 10 years of ministry uh, was a gentleman named Bill. And Bill served off and on as my chairman of the deacons and was just a confidant. Uh, but he was somebody who had just a, a, a wisdom uh, that, um, that other people didn't have. Uh, he understood how people thought and worked. He understood the life of the church. Uh, he understood, you know, interpersonal communication and just the logic of trying to, to create change in a local church. And, and so whenever I would come to a situation where I'd have to make a decision or there was an issue that I was trying to put forward in the church, he was always that one of those people that I could come to and really just ask the hard questions and get good feedback. Uh, he was very much a believable person, and I chose to believe him uh, on a regular basis, and, and that was a very healthy move for me in my leadership uh, so that I was not trying to do all of this on my own, but, but seeking out the people that were most um, I guess, cognizant of the way that the church functioned and worked and how people thought and the underlying concerns maybe that sometimes I might be missing. And so I think you have to find the believable people. And it's not it's not just that you have to find out who they are, but you actually have to listen to them. And there's an element of, of humility that plays a part in that, in listening to the people that you know are going to give you feedback. And it may not always be the feedback you want to hear. Uh, sometimes it's the feedback of, no, that's a bad decision. 
or stop or pause. Uh, it's not it's not time for that yet. And so you have to be ready to be humble to hear from them and then be able to adjust and and make decisions that are better as a result of that feedback. A second principle that I think that I would point to, especially in regards to leading through crisis, would be that personal sacrifice is an essential to leading well in crisis. Um, it's sometimes very difficult to lead in crisis when you're either one trying to protect yourself uh, from the circumstance or from perspective of what other people might say. Uh, I think of a, a friend of mine when I was in the military, we were down in the city of Najaf, uh, which is in, I guess, South Central uh, Iraq. And at the time we were on this one particular base and we were in, in the center of the city, really, uh, our base was, and there was always fighting going around us. We had been moved from Baghdad down to Najaf for the purpose of pushing out um, a Shiite militia that was taking over police stations and killing the police officers and taking their weapons. And so we were stationed there to be able to assist the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment in pushing that militia out of the city. And so as a result of our camp being inside the city, we were always receiving uh, sniper fire from tall buildings or mosques. And, um, and on this particular day, uh, my friend Tom, he was coming back from the motor pool and rounds began to pepper the ground around him and around the other soldiers that were in the motor pool. And everyone tried to clear the motor pool as quickly as they could to find cover. And one of the young men that was next to Tom was shot in the leg uh, to the point where he couldn't actually walk for himself to get into cover. And so uh, Tom didn't think about himself. Uh, he, he, he jettisoned any thought of protecting himself and, and getting to cover as quickly as he could. Instead, what he did is he turned and he grabbed that other soldier, threw him on his shoulder and ran him into the building. And so, I mean, personal sacrifice, like I said, is essential to leading well in crisis. Um, Tom didn't think about himself, didn't think about uh, trying to make sure that he was safe. He cared about the other person. And I think in order to lead well, we have to do the same kind of things. Every crisis is different. Uh, not every crisis bullets are flying. But uh, in a time of crisis, sometimes we have to sacrifice our time uh, to be more engaged, uh, to make better decisions. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our energy. Uh, sometimes we have to sacrifice our opinions in order to lead well in crisis. And so I think that element of humility and, and being willing to make the hard sacrifices uh, from yourself is a really important facet to leading well in crisis. Another principle that I think would be helpful to point out is that critical feedback is usually better than unanimous agreement. Um, so many times we, we think that we're, we're maybe leading leading well in a particular situation uh, when everybody kind of agrees with what our ideas were. You know, we start out with an idea and then when we get consensus, then we feel like we've accomplished something. Uh, but what I've found, especially in the last 10 years of ministry, is that sometimes there is a blinder there. And if you don't have critical feedback and you get unanimous agreement, you're probably missing something that's very, very important. And so that was one of the reasons it was so in, in, invaluable for me as a pastor. I had a group of, of fellow ministers, deacons at our church, and I also had a church council. And on a regular basis, I would bring ideas before them, and I would wait and listen for their feedback. And like I said earlier, 
feedback doesn't always feel good. <laughs> feedback sometimes is, is challenging to your ideas and to your plans and to your timelines. Uh, but that critical feedback is, is usually better at shaping out the idea, shaping out a response uh, than just simple unanimous agreement from the start. And most of the time that makes your uh, your decision-making process stronger makes the end result uh, much better uh, in the way that you lead, especially uh, through issues related to crisis. Um, a fourth one that I would I would point toward is that a clear-headed response is better than a quick response. And um, this one is most notable in my mind. Uh, there was a, a time, same city, when I was in Najaf, there was this road that we would take on a regular basis and this particular evening we were taking reporters from one side of the city to the other side of the city my my squad was given the mission to 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 take them on that uh on that trip and the problem was you know there was a lot of different problems one was typically we didn't travel at night it was just not as uh not as safe uh to be able to travel through the city at night and this mi mission came up and we were leaving our base at 11 p.m. Everything was very dark, uh, and that creates a challenge uh, for people as they're trying to protect the convoy. Uh, my job was, uh, I was a gunner, so I was on top of a Humvee, and there was this one particular corner, almost every day when we would leave our base camp, we would be ambushed uh, to some degree or another. Uh, and this evening was, you know, didn't fail us in that. Uh, we drove up to this uh, the corner of this intersection and took a right and everything just came alive at that moment. Uh, there was small arms fire, uh, which looks a, a whole lot like laser guns uh, from a Star Wars movie because of the tracer rounds. And these rounds are flying all around you. Um, and and even in, in, in one of those moments, uh, the, the person that I was engaging down close to the mosque on the other side of the road uh, fired an RPG. Uh, at my vehicle. Uh, thankfully, he missed. But as we fought our way through that intersection, we ended up getting to the other base camp. And my response, and probably a lot of adrenaline, but my response was, let's get back out there. Let's, let's do something about this, right? So I wanted to respond. I wanted to go back to the intersection. I wanted to fully engage the enemy at that point. Um, but it wasn't a clear-headed response. Uh, it would have been a quick response but it wasn't clear-headed. We didn't have the personnel. We didn't have the equipment to do it uh, safely and the way that would be most effective. And so uh, our unit was actually sent back a different route to get back to our base camp. And then another unit went to engage that, uh, that enemy uh, fully. And so a clear-headed response is better than a quick response. Uh, it's always important to act after the adrenaline subsides, right? So when you're put face-to-face -face with a circumstance, uh, whether it's uh, something like what we've been dealing with with coronavirus or, or a, an issue related to personnel, there's a crisis in the moment, it's always better to pause. It's always better to pause, find some clarity, and so that you can respond in a way that is effective and meaningful as opposed to a knee-jerk reaction. Knee-jerk reactions are almost always bad, almost always ineffective. And so a clear-headed response is so very valuable uh, as you think about leading through crisis. Um, another, another principle that I would point to is that constant communication is absolutely necessary in crisis. 
communication is valuable always, uh, but especially in times of crisis. Uh, and as a leader, it's essential that you communicate with your team, communicate with those around you, communicate with the people, your external partners or whatever it might be, um, so that people know what's happening, so that there's a sense of transparency in the decision-making process so that people feel like uh, they understand where you're coming from, uh, what kind of feedback you receive, and then the decision that you, you make as a result uh, is much more uh, easily received. Uh, I think back there was a, a time, again, when I was in the military, we were uh, given the task of doing patrols out in Baghdad. And uh, these patrols, we would go through you know, really bad neighborhoods uh, that were filled with insurgent fighters, and we're just driving around the city um, I guess in some sense, trying to stir up trouble. <laughs> and as we're controlling these different neighborhoods, one of the things that became a real problem for us is that our radios would not work. Um, we would get outside the, the wire, outside our base camp, and our radios would not connect with our uh, tactical operational center. And so we were being forced to go out into the city without any kind of backup, without any kind of support, and we had no communication with the people that were in charge of us. And so we were basically out there just like cowboys out in the, <laughs> on the Western frontier with nobody to help us or support us. And that was one of the worst, uh, I think, worst times in my military experience where I felt just a, a rush of frustration uh, because of the inoperable radios that we had. And so I say that and, and, and to, to, to point to the fact that communication is absolutely key in times of crisis. Uh, you have to have constant streams of communication between your team members, between those whom you're leading, between uh, those whom you're serving, and whatever capacity that is. So communication is is very, very important. And then last, I would point to 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 God's sovereignty, honestly. Uh, I think that trusting in God's sovereignty uh, will give you a stable foundation in crisis. And um, I remember this day as clearly clearly as if it had happened yesterday, uh, there was a moment when I was uh, I was a, I was a gunner in Baghdad, and we were traveling from our base camp, which was on the south uh, south side of Baghdad, uh, traveling north to the Baghdad International Airport. There was a large base, and as we were driving along, I was I was sitting in the gun turret, and I remember looking out at all of these homes that were next to the roads. And all of them in that region of the world have flat top roofs, uh, which make it very easy for someone to be on top of that roof, very easy for them to take pot shots at you, uh, shoot RPGs at you, whatever they would like to do and however they would like to engage you. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, this, this just doesn't seem very safe at all. And it, there's a very good likelihood that I'm not going to actually make it home uh, to my wife. And I remember in that moment, I feel like the Lord, it was probably one of the clearest impressions I've ever had from the Lord. Um, and he said to me, he said, you are safe right where you are. He says, you're, you're as safe where you are right now in that gun tour in the middle of Baghdad as you would be if you were sitting in a recliner at home. You know why? Because you're not in control. No one else is in control. I'm in control and I've got you. And I think from that impression, it changed the way that I went about my work. It changed the way that I gave myself to the missions that I was given, uh, because I knew that whatever happened, uh, it was God's desire, God's will that would come, come forth. I knew that 
whatever crisis I found myself in, no matter the situation, no matter the dire of the, of the circumstance, I knew that God was sovereign and I could trust him uh, because he knew what was best. He knew what would be good and he knew how to work good even from tragedy. And so I think as leaders, it's absolutely important that we trust in God's sovereignty. Uh, in times where there seems to be no right answers, in times where it seems like everything's going uh, in, a, in a negative direction, uh, where there's crisis or trial or difficulty on every side, we trust in our God because our God does not sleep and he does not slumber. He is fully apprised of the situation and he cares for his children. And, and if we give ourselves in, to him in that trust, if we entrust ourselves to him, if we listen to him through his word, um, he will speak, he will guide, he will give us wisdom. And so I think there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of different things that one could say about leading through a crisis. But I think those, uh, those principles are the ones that I would point to as being uh, ones that have been most helpful for me uh, over the last 15 years or so. Wow, that's incredible. That is absolutely amazing to hear some of your experience. And I especially love that last one. I, I've seen that so so true in so many times in my life where it's like, Lord, this doesn't really make sense, but I'm safest when I'm in your will and I'm doing what you've called me to do. So that's really awesome to hear. Luke, thank you so much for sharing all that. And I think um, just for those listening, I would love to hear kind of just as, as a closing, we're currently in a time where everything just seems a little bit out of sorts and no one really is quite sure what's going on or how long that this current situation will last. What's something that you would really like to leave our listeners with as kind of just a note of encouragement during this time? You know, we're in a time where people are talking about social distancing, um, and I would discourage that, but there's a caveat. Um, physical, distance, physical distancing is important uh, so that uh, we're loving our neighbors, uh, ensuring that we uh, help our communities in fighting against this virus, um, but social distancing is is not helpful for us uh, as human beings and as Christians. And so I would encourage you to reach out to those in your life uh, who are closest, uh, whether that's through FaceTime or through Zoom or some other kind of medium, uh, but ensure that you're connecting with people. If you're in isolation, I encourage you to, uh, to reach out to those people that have been an encouragement in your life and, and make this a, a time where um, you as a person are able to encourage and be encouraged by those in your Christian community or those in your family. Uh, those are, that's one of the most important things that we, we understand from Scripture. When we uh, look at the book of Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews tells us, tells the Christians there uh, in that text that they should not uh, cease gathering together uh, as Christians. And the reason that they were gathering together was that they might encourage one another in the faith, that they might hold fast the confession uh, that they that they had received. And we can do that without gathering physically. We can do that by ministering to one another, uh, whether it's a phone call or a text or a Zoom call, and we can continue to encourage one another uh, to, to have that confession of faith. And that confession of faith really is centered upon uh, who God is, that God is the one who made everything, uh, that God is the one who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins that we might have a life everlasting uh that that one day he's going to return and he's going to write all that has been made uh broken 
through the fall and through sin. And so we, we want to continue to encourage one another with the gospel of Jesus uh, because there's hope there. There's hope found in that, in that gospel. And so I would encourage everyone to, in this time of, of I guess it just seems very uncertain uh, to a degree, we know that there is one who is always certain. We know that there is one who is always in control. We know that there is one who is uh, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that, uh, that will bring us to the other side through every crisis and every trial. He is the one that can be trusted in. And so I would encourage you to reach out to those in your Christian community. Reach out to your family. Continue to be an encouragement to them. Let them be an encouragement to you. And just continue to trust and the ongoing goodness and love of God. Mm, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Luke, for first for encouraging us and then also just imparting um, a lot of uh, wisdom from um, your different areas of leadership over your life. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you uh, hopping on and chatting with us. Absolutely. It's been great. Thank you, Rachel. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time. Find out more ways that you can get involved during our Passages at Home campaign. Visit us at passagesisrael.org slash passagesathome. Thanks for listening.